This podcast is brought to you by absolutely no one. The Bald and the Beautiful podcast with Dave Vella. Who the hell is Dave Vella? Hey, thanks for joining me. I'm Dave Ella, and this is the very first episode of The Bald and the Beautiful. And for this conversation, which may sound a little bit echoey because uh, I am inside of a gym or a martial arts dojo, which would normally be teeming with activity, but social distancing restrictions has uh, seen it closed to the public at the moment. But that did give me a chance to catch up with the man that owns the place, uh, catch up with him for a chat. He's a dad. He's funny. Well, he, he thinks he's pretty funny. Uh, he's passionate about his craft. And he is 10 times world Muay Thai champion. Boom! So he does pack a bit of a punch. And he's a hell of a nice guy as well. Please welcome my first beautiful guest, the gunslinger, John Wayne Parr. You know what I noticed the other day? All your kids start with a J. Yes. And oh, that was Angie's fault. That was Angie's that fault? Was, that was, so that was planned. That was on purpose. Okay. So maybe we have to change Angie's name. <laughs> and you've got... Angie. So, <laughs> so you've got Jesse James, you've got Gemma. Gemma and Jazzy. And Jazzy. Is Jazzy liking the BJJ? Oh, loving it. Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, at the moment she's killing it with a Muay Thai, but if things get slow, she's happy to do a couple of comps here and there. And then um, down the road, if the opportunity arises where you get to have an MMA fight, she's keen yeah, to yeah. that as well. And then, uh, so when I took Lockie to Singapore, uh, we were doing a, a glove check, and then one of the gentlemen goes, uh, "What size glove are you?" Oh, "Large." Yeah, start practicing these. Thinking, hmm. And then and then um, Jazzy, what size? What size? Glove? You should start training in these because expect a phone call on your birthday. Get out. Ah. How good is that? And then uh, so Lockie had his fight. I went back to Australia. Jazzy and Lockie went to Thailand. Um, they win the Sitman try. Jazzy fought a week later in Thailand. Yep. And then they got quarantined when they came back to Australia for two weeks. And now they're both living at home. So they're possibly me, Lockie and Jazzy all under one roof fighting out of for one championship. <laughs> yeah. yeah out so, of so speaking of one championship, what the hell is going on? I thought you retired. Yeah. Um, so I went to the Mundine fight. I was sitting there front row screaming my head off. You probably yeah. didn't hear me. Yeah. But I was, I was making a lot of noise. I heard you retired. You, you did the hip. Hip was sore. Yeah. Did you have the replacement? Uh, in the process now. Yeah. Um, currently, with what's going on, there's no elective surgery, so I'm all done. I'm all ready to go. Uh, and then the surgeon's like, "Oh, you're in that uh, small percentage that it can get the resurface." So it, it must be where they shave it off. Or yeah. Something. So yeah. Mundine's had exactly the same surgery. Uh, he got he's done in England, but now it's becoming quite popular where a lot of sports people and younger people are doing it as well. So. Once you do that, um, you might get five to ten years out of it, and then and then you have to go to the full replacement. Yeah. And then once the full replacement's done, you might get 10, 20 years out of that. And if that once that's done, then I'm sort of so they're they're, they're a little bit sort of ah, you're so young, and if you wear it out, there's not much place, there's not much room for error. Yeah, yeah. So, but um. So when so when are you thinking? You're gonna you're gonna get it uh, done uh, before you go yeah, into one championship. Uh, the the surgeon I'm speaking to, he said it's a two month recovery turnover. Yep. So two months recovery, and then and then start training. I had a mate of mine who's an older guy, he's probably late 50s, had a hip replacement, he had the full hip replacement, yep. does MMA, 
But what he did, he made sure that he trained his ass off for a good six to eight months beforehand. He got himself in top physical shape. He was stretching, he was working, doing strength stuff. He got out of surgery. He was up and at him like in the next few days yep. and back in their trip. The nurses, the doctors couldn't believe ah. how awesome it was because it's all in your prep. Yeah, yeah. It's like going to a fire. You know, it's all, everything's in your prep. If you don't prepare, if you don't train right, ready for it, your fight's gonna be shit. Yeah. It's the same with your surgery. If you don't get ready for it, make sure you're in top physical shape for your surgery, you're not gonna come out the back end very good. So you wanna hear a funny story? So, so one of the guys that, work, uh, that trains here, he works in the hospitals. He's, yeah. uh, he sells the parts to surgeons. Oh, yeah. And then uh, he goes, hey, you wanna come watch a live operation? I'd get love out. to, I'd love to. And he goes, if anyone asks any questions, just say you're one of my apprentices. So the next day we go to Pandara, we do the, we scrub up, we yeah. put on the gowns, we put on the mask. You know, follow me. And we just walk down this corridor with all these doors and all these walk, and he just picks a door and just goes in. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then we go in the, the door and then um, imagine the operating bed and then um, there's the guy along on the bed and there's his feet, there's his head and, and the bed was elevated. So his head was down, his feet were up and they put a tube in his belly button and it filled up his tummy and that meant all his intestine could flop forward so the surgeon uh, get behind the yeah. and then he had like this hook he was watching a computer so he could watch in the computer screen and it had a hook and as he was cutting he was soldering at the same time and it's all on the big screen as you're watching he's solder solder and then after 10 minutes my friend goes ah i'm bored let's go oh, we we got <laughs> and then uh, we walk down this corridor and next minute we go to the the main room and um uh, it's the surgeon that's going to do me now. Yeah. Hey, mate, nice to meet you. Da, da, da. Um, and then he, um, we're just about to start the surgery. It's, it's a hip replacement. This is before I needed one. And it happened to be the one that I watched. And then um, he's like, hey, hey, Sarah, can you press uh, play on the, on the CD player? She goes, oh, I'm so sick of this playlist. Just ask my favorite songs. Just play it. It was like a, a scene out of a TV show. Presses play, the music's playing in the background. And then, um, and then it was like a free private lesson. It's like, all right, so if I say, come so here. So this is his operating music. This is, this? Yeah, this yeah. is his operating. So he, <laughs> so he stand about a meter behind me in case of infection. And then from that moment forward, it was all right, we're making an incision, we're separating this. Um, and to, to get the hip out of the hip socket. So they, they, the ladies on the tummy, they go uh, heel to bum, and yeah. then heel to floor. And then he's on his tippy toes. And then eventually this thing just comes out like a, like a turkey leg. Oh. <laughs> So then they, they cut it and then they insert the new rod, make sure it's all measured up properly. They drill out a hip and they put this new socket in the hip, pull it in, they go stable, stable, stable. He turns to me and she goes, we'll, we'll have her up walking tomorrow. And it's like, you're kidding. No. I kid you not, the, the faster we get them up, the faster the recovery process begins. And it was, it was so, I was, I was a bit worried I was either gonna pass out or be sick, but it was so fascinating. It's yeah. like, this is so educational, this is amazing. This is mind blowing. Um, yeah, no, really no cool. one gets to experience that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And have you found that obviously being in your position, being the man that you are and the, and the connections that you've made, you've met a shitload of people over, over your career. Do you find that you get invited to these type of things, you know, where you get to see stuff and do stuff that like, like you, you were just telling me just before we came on about who you're training, you're training these people that have, you know, yep. um, and you, you get invited into these homes with these mansions and you're, you're training people you get invited into hospitals and you're watching surgery who gets to, who yeah. gets to do that stuff man? yeah very lucky that's crazy um yeah back in the old days when i was in living in bangkok i used to get invited to the australian embassy for all the big gigs um so i got invited to australia day and i got invited this is back in 
99, they invited me to the one year before the Olympics in Sydney for the Australian oh, yeah. flag raising. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be a special member of the... Yeah. yeah it, was, it was really cool. Yeah. You've and had a pretty good... You've had a pretty damn good yeah. career, man. Yeah, it's, and it's not over. It's no, still, it's not over. So it's, 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 speaking uh, of it not being over, retirement. So you've retired like seven times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when, when did you first retire from Muay Thai? So the first one was 2012. Yeah, that's um, right. You just I had just, a... I just broke my finger. And then I came up with the idea of CMT, uh, Cage Muay Thai. That's right, yeah. So it's like, all right, I'm, I, I was just burnt out. So uh, I wanted to, to participate in MMA. I thought, oh, MMA is quite popular now. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to um, learn, some, learn some BJJ so I can learn how to have a bit of a ground defense. And then my first BJJ session, um, I broke my, snapped my finger in half. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that, right. night, that night I'm laying in bed going, I really want to fight in the cage, but I don't want to learn the BJJ. I've been doing Muay Thai my whole life and never had any problems. And one BJ, BJJ class and I snapped my finger. I said, how can, how can I fight in the cage without doing the ground? I, I'll just do it Muay Thai. I'm, I'm, I, I, instead of, we do shows anyway, so instead of hiring a ring, I'll hire a cage. And then um, I went online, went on the YouTube to see if anyone else was doing it at the, at the time. And a lot of people were doing their Muay Thai in the cage, but they had the 10 ounce gloves on. Yeah. So ah, this looks sort of weird. I've been watching UFC for so long and then this, to see big gloves, it just looked inappropriate. So I thought, well, if I'm gonna do it, I gotta wear the MMA gloves. So I wanna experience the cage, plus I wanna experience what it's like to be punched with those little ones on. So um, so that was my mindset. And then I, I put it online thinking, hey, you wanna, I wanna do this, what do you guys reckon? And I got smashed. Everyone's going, how can you, you're a, this is a blaspheme. Uh, this is a disgrace. You're, you're the Muay Thai guy. Um, how dare you, sir? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. I just got this inkling that this is going to be really yeah. cool. Um, I'm going I'm to go on my gut feeling and just keep, keep chasing it. So um, we did our first show, 2012. And then um, every single fight from the first fight to the last fight was just edgier seat. Uh, the, the, the earlier fights might not have the same skill set, but at the same time, uh, they were trying so hard to knock each other out that you couldn't help but be entertained. It's like this is amazing. Um, what they made up, what they lacked in skill, they made up with with aggression and, and violence. Uh, and then, yeah, we did the show. Then I fought the main event. I fought uh, uh, Jordan Ty. I had four rounds of crazy. I was lucky to stop him in the fourth. Uh, and then I tried to retire. And after after six months of just laying and just not having anything to do, to having that void. Uh, teaching classes is cool and helping fighters is cool, but uh, just missing that adrenaline or having that purpose. Especially, um, I've been training for 20 years full time, never had a break, and then after six months, I, I had the hunger back again, had the itchy, itchy knuckles. I just, I, I just think I, I just needed some time out to, to find myself and then realize uh, that the sport isn't a, a job, it's something that I love. And um, so when I came back again, I had a new, newfound passion mm. for, for the sport that I, I, I dedicated my life to. And now I was doing it because I wanted to do it. I wasn't doing it because it was a chore, I was doing it because I, I love it. And then um, that changed everything. That made the, my training more exciting, made the fights more exciting, uh, and not to be taken for granted. And then, so that was 2012. Well, plus you were also promoting at the same time. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then with the, with how exciting the, the CMT was too, fighting on the first one. And then uh, I was like, oh, I've just created this monster. I can't turn my back on it now. I've just started it. Mm. So uh, yeah, ended up after six months, ah, oh, screw it, I'm coming back in. And then, uh, so yeah, eight years later, and then uh, my hips, the last probably two years, just slowly degenerated uh, every, every week to week to week. Um, so yeah, after, uh, so I fought in Japan in August, 
and then um, halfway through my preparation, the, the motor rang about fighting Mundine in uh, end of November. Oh, this is amazing. This is this is cool. Um, it had been a while since you had a boxing fight, hadn't it? Two thousand and three was my last boxing. Yeah, fight. I didn't even have shoes. I didn't That's have a growing cup. Didn't have shoes. Uh, and and uh, watching Mundine for twenty years, never having, never in the slightest inkling that I ever thought it would fight each other. Um, and then to get the opportunity to fight one of the Australia's greatest boxers is like, holy crap, this is amazing. Did you um, now look just, just on that? Because I was at that fight. And I love, I don't get the chance. I've been, um, as you know, I, I MC the fight shows. I've had the privilege of MCing you heaps of times. Yeah. And it's been unreal. Get to introduce you to the ring. In the last 20 years, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the fight show without working at it. And I got the opportunity from the promoter to come along to the Mundine fight to watch you fight. And I was like, man, I've never done this before. This is awesome. He gave me a ringside table. I sat there with my mates and I was like, this is bloody unreal. Yeah. No wonder people love this yeah. stuff. I've always been right yeah. in the action, but this was unreal. And I got to watch your fight, and man, that was a cracker of a fight. It was a really cracker of a fight. Now, I don't know whether you, I heard a lot of the negative stuff prior to the fight, you know, basically saying, what the, what, a hell, what the hell are these two guys fighting? We've got a guy who's a boxer, he's washed out. We've got a guy who's a Muay Thai fighter, he's at the end of his career. Oh, you would have heard that sort of stuff yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know what to expect when I went in, but man, you guys gave it a good crack. Yeah, it was a really entertaining fight. Um, so how it all eventuated was uh, uh, Benny Marnie got the opportunity to go down and do rounds with uh, Mundine. Uh, so we went down, I helped him in the corner, giving him water, just watching carefully, and then just watching, expecting the, the Mundine of the, year, of the early 2000s. And then uh, when we were watching the sparring, uh, Benny was doing really, really well, which was quite surprising. It's like, oh man, I, I don't, I don't think Monday's starting to, on the, on the decline now. Mm. He's not what he was for right. sure. And then uh, the spa finished. We took some photos. Did the thank you very much for the opportunity. This is awesome. And then about a week later, the promoter rang saying, hey, I was talking to uh, Mundine and the, uh, the opportunity. Uh, how would you like the opportunity to fight him yourself? And it's like, uh, after watching Benny spar him, yeah, for sure, I'd love that opportunity. I, yeah, I think if I had fought him when he was in his peak, I, I don't think I would have got close yeah. to him. He's, it, he's definitely a different He man. was amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, after uh, such a long career and uh, so many hard fights um, and age, so I thought, oh, no, I'm, I, I still feel good. And I've just fought in Japan. I'm, I'm just getting ready for Japan, so I'm fit. Um, yeah, I love the opportunity. I, and then what a, what a way to go. And then I thought, um, because uh, it's a boxing fight, I won't have to kick for, for 10 weeks, which is going to give me opportunity for the, heel, the, the hip to heal. Um, and then I thought, oh, my hip's so done. I, I can't continue if, even if I wanted to. Um, so yeah, preparation was really good. Uh, painful. Uh, every, uh, so the hip doesn't hurt while I train, while I'm warm, it's good. Half an hour after I cool down, mm -hmm. I just get the waves, yep. waves, waves of pain. And that could go the three, four, five hours. And just as the pain starts to subside, then um, I've got to train again. And then it starts all over again. Yeah, yeah. So, so twice a day, just like, oh man. And then um, had the fight, called it quits. Uh, had a bit of a sook on the ring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty emotional. I mean, look, yeah, was, yeah, you did have a sook, but it was, it, it, man, it must be an emotional thing oh, yeah. to have that realization that this has been my life since I was 14, 15, 16, and now I'm 40 something, and I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm finishing. Yeah. You know, so I, man, we get it. So yeah, it's not a, yeah. you know, it's not a, so, it's not a, 
you know, I don't think anyone looks at it like you're sucking. It's just like, yeah. dude, that's freaking emotional. Yeah. You know, that's hard stuff. So, but now you're back again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, when was it? When did I this is it? like, you're, you're doing like the kiss tour. Kiss, <laughs> kiss, <laughs> kiss so, retired a few times. Um, so one of the boys, um, Lucky, that trains with us, and uh, who was also going out with my daughter, Jazzy, uh, he had the opportunity to get signed by one. Uh, the, his first fight for the company was for the world title against um, Sam A uh, in Singapore. Uh, so Sam A has 420 fights and Lockie has 40. And it's like, okay, your first, uh, we want to sign you. And we're like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, Lockie's on the big stage now. And then not doing him any favors whatsoever. They say, all right, so your first fight's going to be against the killer for the world title. And it's like, whoa, what an opportunity. Um, win, lose, or draw, no matter what happens, as long as we fight strong and put on an entertaining fight, um, it's a win-win. Mm. As long as we put up a good fight, it doesn't matter what happens. And then, uh, so we got over to Singapore, got to meet everybody, um, seen how professional the company was. Uh, got to meet Yod uh, Chetrai, the, the promoter. And then uh, the first time meeting him in the back room with Lockie, he was amazing. Uh, I gave him the sawadi, and then um, he goes, oh, I'm such a big fan, uh, been watching you forever. I love your punching, I love your aggression. I'd love to have you come back and fight for the company. It's like, hmm, you got my, you got my, you got my attention. I, I, I'm listening, I'm listening. So, uh, and then once I got back to Australia, they, they sent me a contract. And then, um, yeah, the contract was like twice that I was making for any other uh, promotion in the world. Has so like, it signed, sealed, yeah, done? Yeah, it's done. So I got a six-fight deal over two years. And, um, yeah, the biggest prize money I could ever possibly imagine. It's a dream come true, that, that sort of money. It's like, wow. This so obviously is... we're just going to wait till all this shit dies yeah, down yeah. and then get back into it. For sure, for sure. So, wow. That's, but, but, I mean, that, um, is, that is pretty, that is, that's like an almost a whole new career for you again. Oh, for sure. It's amazing. It's, um, it's not only is it a massive opportunity for such a world stage, but um, it's just exciting because you, uh, not only is it so big, but you've got the guys like uh, Cosmo Alexander, Nikki Holson, uh, Yodsen Gwai. Uh, every single fight's a killer fight too. So to become a champion uh, um, in in that promotion, you really have to be on your game and be elite because uh, there's no gimmies. Everyone's just, every single person's like a proper. Yeah, champion. but you're used to that, you know. Like I, I followed your career. I've, I've been I've been you know when you fought. I've been in the ring with you and I've introduced you. I've seen your fights, some massive fights. I mean, you've had some big adversaries. You've had your Senkla. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you had three fights with him and. You know, anyone would have given up after the first two times that he beat you. And you, and you went back in for a third, going, I know I can do it. Yep. And you fucking did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, unbelievable. Um, Zambides. Yep. You know, you fought him, you lost. He was a little nugget. He's just yeah. a bulldog, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And um, man, you, you literally destroyed him, you know, in the end. And that was, when was that? That was about 09. Um, yeah. And then 11, you fought Yod Senkai. Yep. And then you retired. So you sort of, you won a couple of world titles off these guys. You, you, you peaked and you retired. Now you're coming back, and I'm just wondering, where's your mindset on when it ends? Like, are you, are you thinking, okay, I'm gonna do these six fights, and then I'm gonna retire? Or is it still a scary thing to retire? Is it still like sort of, shit, I really yeah. don't want to? Uh, yeah, uh, so, um, so in between my little break of my last retirement, uh, I got to go to a funeral, and then while I was at the funeral, I seen, um, uh, a friend of mine in the box oh, and shit. that was like a big reality it's like once you're in that box that's it you didn't there, there's no from more tired no 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 okay. but uh just the fact that um 
once the, the box, the, they close the curtain and... There's no more dreams. There, there's, yeah, yeah, so no matter how young, old, fit, whatever, once you're in that box, that's the, that's the, the big finale. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be, I want to be remembered. I, I, I've, got, I've got stuff to do. I've got um, goals I still want to kick. Uh, people I still want to keep. Yeah, <laughs> people's faces aren't going to punch themselves. So I, 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 I uh, consider my job a community service for, for everyone that wants that face punched. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just keep, keep doing what you love doing. Why, why stop if you're able? Mm. Um, yeah, body's not 100, percent but at the same time, I have so much enjoyment that I can. I'm happy to put up with the pain and and um, keep, keep living my dream yeah yeah <laughs> and what about the kids because you, you know your kids are doing muay thai they're, they're now doing the jit yep do you push them into oh, no. fighting are you sort of when i say push them i don't mean i don't mean like come on you gotta get yeah. out there but are you sort of like yeah no it's all good do whatever you want but secretly you're like fuck yeah, yeah. come on get in there keep doing it yeah go, deep, go for deep, it. deep down i love the idea that they're even um into martial arts at all but uh yeah i don't have to push them whatsoever because I mean, they're very talented Jazz, they're, they're very talented. Jazzy's very self-motivated. Yeah. I never have to tell her to put her shoes on or go do pads or go to the gym. Uh, and then my son's 11 and my daughter's five. And then we've set up uh, jigsaw mats in the in the house now yeah. uh, because they're wrestling on the carpet. And me and Angie's like, ah, oh, we'll get some mats for the for the room. And then uh, every single day, you almost got to tell them to stop wrestling. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, come on, guys, that's enough <laughs> fighting today. We can continue fighting after dinner. <laughs> so it, it's really cool. It's it's a uh, it's 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 a the, the the perfect lifestyle for for any martial arts family, I believe. It's just cool. It's just cool to have the kids involved. And I'll I'll jump in and I'll do a wrestle with them, my son, and and then the little guy, oh, I want to wrestle too, and then he'll jump yeah, out, yeah. and the little one jump in, and yeah. you let them win sometimes, and sometimes you got to show them who's boss. And <laughs> are they is Jazzy coaching at the gym? Yes, she's doing a bit of coaching. Yes, so she finished school end of year ten, and then um, she did her certificate three and four. So for PTs and weights, she yeah, can teach perfect. weights, she can do classes, she do PTs. Um, yeah, and she's so busy. With, she's got heaps of little little girls and little kids that are training with a PT-wise. And um, she's learning to, she's doing really good with teaching classes and stuff. And everyone respects what she has to say. And she's had 26 fights, so it's not like she's an amateur. She's, and she's had um, a worldwide experience going overseas and fighting mm. overseas, representing the country. So. I mean, really, your gym, I mean, look, I've just walked in this gym. I haven't been in here for a while. And the first thing you said to me, the first yeah. thing I noticed was your, your, the new mats. New mats, yep. Um, and you're telling me now you're going to start jujitsu here? Yes. Unreal. Yes, we have uh, Professor Daniel from Yeah, from who's, who's my professor. Yeah, he's, uh, he's amazing. He's yeah, such, he's a, such a cool guy. And because yeah. he's, he's Brazilian too, he's the most authentic you can possibly get. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and, I, I, and such a nice guy. He's a, he's a great bloke. I, I obviously first met him eight years ago when he first came to Australia, and um, I started with him. So I, I, my very first stripe I got with him, my black belt I got from him. Um, in fact, we were the first, we were the first students of his in Australia to go from zero to hero oh, and, wow. and go through our whole tuition with him. That's yeah, amazing. so, so cool. really, really proud of that. But I remember when he first came over, as a lot of the Brazilians, they, they don't speak yeah. hardly any English. So we were teaching him. As, as, as he's teaching us uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and he's, he's saying certain words, like especially like guard, they say guard instead of guard, yep. the Portuguese. So um, we were teaching him English and helping him expand on his English. And now, oh, now he's just, you know, everything. He's got the world at his feet. He's, he's third Dan, he's teaching, he's refereeing. He's, he's a legend in BJJ in Australia, it's great. And, and he's, he's got the itchy knuckles now too, because now he wants to, yeah. now he's here, he wants to 
tie up his striking, so he, maybe he might. Oh, uh, he'll definitely. Yeah, he comes in here a bit with of a you. twist he's, of the arm. He's, he might, yeah. he's another one. He yeah. just wants to keep fighting. Like, yeah, he, he's had a few um, MMA fights, and he's had a mixed career. He's won some, he's lost some, and um, I was there at his last one, and he, he won that one beautiful head kick, um, which keeps coming up on social Ooh, media. He loves, <laughs> he loves that. Yeah. But um, man, once you get him here with you, he's going to be itching at yeah. the bit again. He's going to be wanting to get in there. So the, the funny story was um, I didn't tell Angie that I signed with one. That was a surprise for everybody. And it was so, everything happened so fast that the, the email come through. I quickly scanned it. I signed it. I sent it straight back. And then um, she was shocked as anyone else. And then she went to BJJ the next day and seen profession. Oh, I'm so worried about my husband. He's gone behind my back and signed this contract. And then, and then he backed me up straight away. Goes, I'd do exactly the same thing if I had some skills and I got offered the money he was getting offered. A hundred percent, I would have done. And then that sort of helped weather the storm a little bit for when she came home. She was a little more understanding then. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good to have someone in, in the same predicament that yeah, I'm in. He's in the same predicament. Like, yeah. You know, I think. I think Professor Daniel, he's in his mid-30s, you know, and mid-30s is notoriously a time when I think for men, you know, it was a while since I was in my mid-30s, but yeah. when you're in your mid-30s, you, you, I don't know, you feel like you're at your peak of your strength. You feel like you're only getting strong. I don't know if that was the same for yeah. you, but yep. for me, I felt like, man, I'm only getting stronger, I'm getting fitter. And But at the same time, a lot of people see that you almost, you know, say that you're past your use-by date. You yep. know, I remember when I started jiu-jitsu and MMA, I was late 30s, and I was coming home with black eyes and injuries, and, and I did my knees so many times and my ribs, and they're going, Dave, you, you're too old for this shit, man. What are you doing? I'm like, piss off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And you just, when, when you've been doing martial arts and you've been doing combat sports, and I think you get into your 30s, you feel like you've still got so much more to give. Yeah. And obviously that's how you're feeling, and you're oh, still yeah. feeling. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you're 44 next month too, aren't you? 44, yeah. Yeah. Give research. That's yeah. cool. That's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> how uh, you feeling about that? No, no. Um, my body still feels good. My mind still feels young. Um, and then I just think of it as a as a book. It's like, do, do I want this to be my final chapter? And it's like, ah, I still believe I, I still have a few more fights in me as well. Uh, but do you want to get okay I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here do you want to go out on a high i mean obviously we all want to yes. go out on a high you know what i mean and so both times i retired i beat jordan and i beat mundine yeah then you beat mundine yeah. right so wouldn't it piss you off if it's you go into this one championship it's and you just have off. a shit run yeah. and it's like ah oh, now yeah. i'm gonna be remembered as yeah. the guy that couldn't the make guy. it in one i'm the guy no because <laughs> we always want more don't we we want to we want to keep going we want to keep pushing that envelope and we still want to believe and we you know and I suppose you've got to have that self-belief in you. Yes. But we still want to believe that we can mix it with the best and finish on top. But how much would it piss you off if you don't? Yeah, oh, uh, it'll definitely suck. But I still have the same passion and the still drive. Um, I'm, I'm excited to train. And then I'm just thinking in my head, the worst case scenario, let's say I've been lucky to retire twice. So I've got two awesome memories of, of retiring twice and, and finishing yeah. good. But, um, <laughs> I'm thinking do the best that I can, put on some exciting fights, win, lose, or draw. And then worst case scenario is I get financially, I get to be um, burden free without having to worry about if I can pay my house off and pay my gym off. Um, How much does it mess with your head though if you're not training to fight? Oh yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I just, 
after a good session, you, you feel alive. You got the sweat dripping off you. You're you got exhausted. The dopamine running yeah, through you. Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. There's no better. If you could bottle it and sell it, you'd yeah, be a multi. Yeah. Um, because I, I know a few guys in some guys in MMA that um, live down my way, and they've been Australian champions, and they've stopped, and they've literally they've lost the plot a bit. Okay, you know, yep. um, and I know a few guys like that. It happens to guys in, in football. You hear about it in guys in NFL in America because the sport and the competition and the being on top has been such a big part of their life. Yes. And suddenly they finish and they go into retirement and they, they might have the money, they might have the lifestyle, they might have the gym, they might have the friends, but there's that something that is missing, that competitive edge or that, that drive or that adulation you get from the crowd. Yes. There's something that in their head, they miss so much that I think it gets expanded you know, out of proportion, yep. and it drives them a bit nutty. Um, did you find that was affecting you when you sort yeah. of decided to retire? Was it being irrelevant? Just yeah, being, just falling off the map and just being, just being everyday Joe. Where, um, but you know, you can never be everyday Joe. Yeah. You know, like no matter what, you cannot be everyday Joe. You know, like you've you've achieved stuff that no one else has achieved. You've got this kick-ass gym, which you own, by the way. Yeah. It is all yours. You've got a family of fighters coming through. You, you tra you've trained champions, yeah. you know? But it's still not the same, is it? I sort of hit a crossroads when I hit that, that retirement where it's like a, a rediscovery of who I am because mm. every time it says, who are you? I'm a fighter. Mm. I'm a fighter. It's always been my natural action. I'm a fighter. Yeah. And when you, when, you, when you catch a plane and come back in Australia, occupation, pro fighter. Blah, Retired blah, blah. fighter. Retired fighter. <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, I was saying to someone the other day, uh, my life's always been about a date. All right, September 1st, boom. Mm. So train, 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 have the fight, have a week off. All right, next date, all right, November, blah, blah. So da, 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 da. And it's always date, 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 date. Yep. And then you're always preoccupied, searching, searching, searching. And then uh, I, always, I also tell people, it's almost equivalent to climbing Mount Everest. You're climbing, 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 climbing. You're not quite at the summit. You can see the summit, you're not quite there. And then, and then all of a sudden you're sort of stuck. You, you want to stop and you can see the top. It's like, oh, I just want to, just that little bit further. And it's like, oh, if I stop, if I stop, I'm going to get, and then people can overtake me now. But if I keep going, hopefully it'll be um, people, it'll be, yeah. a, no one can follow my footsteps in, hopefully. It's, it's you know, a big part of that mental health is having that goal. And as I said about these other guys that I've seen, I, I've noticed the same thing. When they stopped, I, I believe that it's, their focus has, has, is no longer there. So they had the focus of the fight, the Australian title, the world title, whatever it may be. They know that they're in camp for the next eight, 12 weeks, whatever they want to do. And that gave them the drive. And when they finished that one, they knew they had a break of mm. X amount of weeks and they get back into it again. Yep. So is the trick in finding something else in our lives that gives us those little goals? Because you imagine, okay, imagine normal people. You're not a normal, you're yeah. not a normal person. Yeah. But imagine a normal person with a normal job and normal life and a wife and a couple of kids doing their thing. No wonder people go freaking insane, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's somehow we've got to find that trick of that little goal in our lives, whether it's the next holiday, whether it's, you know, rebuilding a car whatever it may be we've got to keep that passion up yes and um obviously you're going to come to that point the third time you retire you're going to come to that point again what are you thinking what do you reckon yeah, you can do i'm not sure um i really enjoy uh, entertaining so the fights are amazing but also the the um the 
the buzz from the crowd and the buzz from the cheering yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and standing on top of the cage, uh, sitting on the cage or the top, top rope. Um, yeah, the, uh, I, I, I'm equivalent to Highlander where there's the quickening. Yeah, so yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. You, when you get the knockout win, you stand there and it just yeah. feels like every single cell in your body is electrified. It's like... Um, Maybe you might, I wonder if down the track, I mean, obviously your kids are fighting and you've got Jazzy there who's still, you know, the world is at her feet. Jesse James, he's a great little fighter. I've, I've actually emceed both of your kids as well oh. in their fights. How's that? You, Jasmine, <laughs> Jesse James, I've introduced you all into the ring. I'm just waiting for little Gemma to yeah, come little through. Gemma. Hey. I get to introduce her. Yeah. But I don't know, do you think that if your kids decide to really take the fight game more seriously and push through, that you would get the satisfaction of hoisting them up on your shoulders oh, and, and, sure. and taking them through? I've been lucky to take Jazzy to England twice and Canada. Uh, I took her to Thailand once but got sick and ended up in hospital. That sucked. But um, just the adventures of spending the week with Jazzy and catching trains and, and just having that father-daughter and yep. um, no distractions and we're both strangers too so we're no one else to bounce off besides each other. It's um, a really cool bond to have with, with a, a family member and I can't wait to do it with my son as well. Just to, to disappear for a week and just get another country and represent and compete and win. And you've so, gone through so many. Where have you fought? You fought in Japan. Uh, so the other day, uh, to, kill, to, to, to kill time, um, I, I wrote down my record, and then I, I discovered out of my 147 fights, uh, 77 have been internationally. Wow. So uh, lots in about 40 in Thailand, uh, six. No, I fought in Japan six, 17 times. 17 times in Japan. Uh, fought in England twice. Italy three times. Um, Why don't yeah. you just go over Japan? Sorry, over Thailand. Retire over there as a god. Oh, they, they all oh. think you're a living yeah. legend over there. Yeah, geez. Yeah, so you could go over and start your own Thai restaurant yeah. over there. They would love you. You could do anything over there. Australia is so beautiful. After living there for so long, and come back to Australia. We have the best lifestyle, especially on the beach, especially on the Gold Coast. Lifestyle's good here. We're, 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 I think, um, and we've got the government looks after us at the moment as well. So with everything that's going on, even before. Um, so Thailand has no pension, no mm. dole, no Centrelink, no, it's every man for himself almost. And then yeah. once you retire, then you got to rely on your kids to support, supply your food and the shelter and everything else. So at least here, there's a little bit of pension, a little bit of Centrelink, a little bit of um, home there's assistance. There's more opportunity more as well. Opportunity, yep. yeah. and, and it's clean, we've got fresh air. Uh, but there's nothing like going to a country like Thailand or um, do you know, there's some of these countries that you can go and they're beautiful in their own way. They're amazing. Yes. They're, they're simple. It's the simplicity. I love the simplicity. You go over there and it's just life's simple. They don't yeah. have the shit to worry about that we worry about. They don't, you know, they don't get all this stuff in their head like, like we get into our head. But at the same time, that's the beautiful stuff. But it's also some of the bad stuff as yeah. well because yeah. there's more poverty over there, the disease, the health, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it, it's, it's a, you know, some good stuff, some bad stuff. But I think everyone in here should do what you've done and, and I've been lucky enough too is to travel as much as you can oh, for sure. so you can come back here and go I really do live in a yeah. fucking good place <laughs> yeah it's not until you go away that you appreciate what you do have here and uh, I've said since I was a little boy before I even started fighting overseas my main goal is to see as many countries as possible through the sport yeah. um, so so for, for the guys that don't fight that I want to understand so the promoter will ring up from let's say Japan and they'll say all right so we want you to fight on this date so you've got eight weeks to prepare and they'll pay for you and a, a cornerman to fly there for free. They'll organize your accommodation for the week. And then usually nine times out of 10, they'll give you food money as well. So there's no reason why you should have to put your hand in your pocket for that whole week that you're there. 
Uh, you get to compete in front of maybe 30, 40,000 people, plus the TV as well. With K1, they had uh, 20 million TV viewers just in Japan alone. Yeah. Um, and then getting mobbed by the, the Japanese fans <laughs> used to be so amazing. So, so for that seven days, you're a little bit of a star. Everything's paid for. You get to fight. You get, you get to be live the dream. Then when you come back to Australia, you're splendid with the crowd again. You, you're going from a superstar to just normal Joe. So, and then it's good too because you don't. I, I'd hate to imagine what a, a Conor McGregor lifestyle would be, mm-hmm. where you can't leave your house, or you can't mm-hmm. go to the shops by yourself. Or um, well, there's something. I mean, we all envy that, don't we? We all envy fame and fortune and money and popularity and watching these guys and, and watching the likes of Conor McGregor where he can do whatever the fuck he wants yeah, yeah. and he does do whatever the fuck he wants yes. um, and he's good at what he does and he just got those millions of dollars for fucking we're thinking man but once again like we're saying with Thailand the beauty then there's the flip side of you know and it's the same with that fame and that fortune and that, that you know being so um, you know so famous that you get that money but then suddenly you become this prisoner in your lifestyle where you can't go out and just have a bit of a normal life. You can't just rock up the street and go, I'm getting a hamburger and, and a Coke. And you oh, just can't do it. Um, so so uh, I was very lucky to train uh, George St. Pierre for two weeks. Yeah, back, yeah, back that's what day. I remember. So I uh, got the opportunity. To he was my favourite um, UFC fighter, yeah. without a doubt. Just yeah, nice nice bloke, good style, never never spoke shit about anyone. And then uh, he, the, if you were good at boxing, he'd get really good at hands, so he could beat your, whatever your strength was. Yeah, if you were yeah. a good wrestler, he'd out-wrestle you. If you were a good boxer, that. he'd yeah. out-box you. Just to show that he could. He just brought in the best people from all around the place to improve himself. Yeah, and yeah. then, um, so he was, a, he was in the same predicament where hanging out with him for the first few days, you realise uh, how, like you are saying, he'd become a prisoner of his own fame where every single red light, everyone would be beeping their horns yeah. and calling his names. And every time we went to a restaurant, everyone would be... He'd have to take two bites of a meal, stand up, take a photo with the waitress. Uh, two bites later, the, now the cook's out. Two bites later, now the owner of the building comes. Um, and then go to a nightclub, it's just impossible. Uh, and after three or four days, you realise this doesn't turn off. This mm. is 24-7, mm. wherever he goes. Uh, so to give you a, an idea, uh, we're, we're going to go about 300 metres down the road. Next minute he's calling a taxi. It's like, what are you doing? It's just, I can see where we're going. It's just there, I can see the sign. He goes, yeah, you don't understand. If we, if we walk, that's two hours. I'm going, get out. Like, well, let's go, then. I'll show you. And then sure enough, someone, as soon as someone, hey, George, you want a picture? And next minute, the whole street comes out. And then sure enough, it took hours to just to go 300 metres up the road. It was like so mind-boggling. Um, it's like, this is insane. Um, it was like walking around with Elvis. It was just too, too, <laughs> too famous. Uh, I've met famous people before, but too famous. Um, you still keep in contact with um, oh, George? Uh, uh, he came to Australia about two years ago uh, to do um, some live um, yeah, talking some live events. talks. Yeah, and then uh, he, he gave me a text going, "Hey, I'm in Brisbane. Do you want to do you want to catch up?" So how was how was he not going into the movies? I mean, he was a good looking dude. He was an amazing martial artist. Why yeah. didn't he become like the next Van Damme? I'm or not sure. maybe I'm not sure. He liked to do the um, uh, one of the big ones. Um, Oh, where he did the, uh, I forget the name of it. Um, where he played the French guy, uh, as a Marvel comics. Oh, did he? Yes, he was one, one of them, but I'm not sure. You had, um, you had sort of ambitions for a little while to yeah. maybe do some. Uh, I was lucky to train some stuntmen 
and then uh, got to do a little bit of work and we did uh, the documentary and I got to work with some other guys shooting some fight scenes and stuff, which is just a bit of, bit of fun. Good documentary too. What, yes, um, Venom. Yeah. Venom, that was, that was awesome. such a good documentary. So one of the fathers was that brought his son in, he was a producer. One day we were chatting, chatting about and I was just telling stories like, like, as you always. And then he talked to another big producer that happened to work on um, Superman and Moulin Rouge and um, all these other Mad Max. Uh, and he said, hey, would you like to shoot a documentary? Um, oh, sure, I'd love to. Uh, and sure enough, a couple of days later, I said, oh, here's your ticket for Thailand, let's go to Thailand. So we caught this plane, we all went to Thailand together. And the next day for breakfast, the, um, the, the main guy, um, guy, he handed me a, a pad and a pen. He said, I'll write down everyone you think we should interview. All right, maybe we should interview the promoter. Uh, we should go to my old camp. Uh, we should do this guy, which maybe Sancho. Sancho See, were like the, you were like the producer, just yeah, like putting yeah. it all together. That's great. So then um, I handed the sheet back to him and he goes, all right, done. So he started contacting all those people and just happened, everyone happened to be available to do interviews. So I went to the uh, promoter, Sanchai flew up from um, Koh Samui to come to Bangkok to have, to have a chat. And you saw your old, um, like your adopted parents the, the over camp, there, yeah. Paul and Mae. Paul and Mae, yes. Has, how long had it been since you'd seen them when you went back for the documentary? Ooh, 99, so approximately 10 years. Wow. So, and, that was, and everything you've seen on the documentary was all real footage, or real, real emotions of yeah, it was amazing. seeing each other for so long. It was it was really um, heartwarming, and everyone blew out when they when they seen that uh, as well. Just the amount of respect that I gave the ties, and how much respect they gave me back. Um, just to to be one of them, not just a white guy, but I I um, yeah, I was I was pretty much a white tie for the the, the whole. Well, time it was just there. unheard of, wasn't it? You know, yeah. you didn't have the white guys over there living there, competing the way you compete. I mean, what you were the first first white guy at um, to, 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 to live there on on the scene in the circuit full time for the the four years that I was there. And the first uh, Australian to fight at Australian, Yeah, and then uh, even the ties were saying, what you're doing now, you're making history. Um, they'll look back in years to come and you're going to be the first guy. So, and then now it's normal for people to be there three, four, five years. Yeah. It's just another, but uh, to, to be the first one, it was, it was really cool. You were the pioneer. The pioneer, yes. And, um, and what was it like to go and see your adopted family? Again, oh, you amazing. know what I mean? Like, it, was, it was really cool. And to see where you live, to see those humble beginnings where you started. Like, they, they, they went around in the documentary, showed where you live, showed the toilets yeah. and, and the gym you train. And I remember you said something like, um, you, you didn't wash your hands, you just splashed some water up your butt or oh, something. Oh, the bum, yeah, no toilet paper. No toilet paper. So there was a, a, a big, uh, like, bath filled with water and it had a, a pussy um, bucket, oh, not a bucket, like a little uh, tub. So, yeah, instead of toilet paper, you grab the fill a tub full of water yeah. and then you pour splash, the water into your hand splash it up there and then, and then you've got to use your hands as a squeegee to try and get as much water off your butt as you can oh. before you put your shorts on it no. so that, and did you wash your hands <laughs> in the soap before you go back out and train or there was, no one cared yeah. about this yeah. no wonder everyone's gone sick no, for toilet no. paper right now there's, there's, they saw your documentary there was no coronavirus back then so you could just touch and grab and everything. yeah there's no there's no little buggies back then i mean that was a pretty crazy lifestyle for you at 19 to go and live in this totally foreign country with no creature comforts at all like oh, not yeah. even a bed um and then like, you'd imagine imagine the size of brisbane and no one could speak english mm. and it's like ah this sucks everything was hand signals so hungry sleepy shower and then uh, eventually oh, i gotta learn this language otherwise if i'm gonna stay here long term I, I really need to learn so the plan was to try and learn five words a day so I, like oh, what's 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 this uh, what, what is, what's this what's this so then i, I lay out bed at night time and i go over those five words and next day we'll start. So another new five words. 
and then after a, after a little bit, and then the Thais used to send me on missions to the shops. Uh. Okay, um, I want one bag of ice. And then I walk down the street. Oh, I want one bag of ice. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I get to the shop, and then and then um, and then I oh, if, if I want one bag of ice, if I change ice to um, food, or if I want something else, or all of a sudden I've got a sentence now, and then that sentence turned into multiple sentences, and then uh, so my my favorite story is uh, the, whatever the 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 famous songs were at the time. I go and buy the the CD, and then I press play and pause on the uh, CD player, and then I write down in English. Uh, pom pom luck turp, uh, pom p o m luck r u c k, and then I, I remember the whole CD. So then we go to karaoke, and it'd be a live band and like two thousand people in the club. And you were singing live and in China. I, yeah, and then, then I, I put my request in, and then everyone would look at me and it's like, oh, here we go. And I've been the only Westerner in the whole nightclub yeah. as well. And then uh, the song would start, and then uh, I'd hit the, I'd hit the notes, and then I'd practice a lot too. So I wasn't bad, I thought anyway. And then. Um, after a couple of bars, next minute one person come out the dance floor, two people, three people, next minute the dance floor is full and I'm jamming away, smashing this song out, doing the emotions, doing the facials and then uh, the song would finish and a round of applause and then the band's like, hey, you know any more songs? It's like, mate, I know the whole album. <laughs> any chance you do with a couple more? Oh, for sure, for sure. Can you do this one? And then, uh, yeah, I do like three or four songs. It was so cool. I, I thought for sure when I retired from Muay Thai, I was going to be a Thai singer. <laughs> that, that was my, my whole goal. So who knows? Maybe that, that dream's not dead yet. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Uh, after one championship. Yeah. Gonna... Maybe, maybe. What about, um, what about Jesse? Would you ever send him over there to give that sort of experience that you had? Oh, for sure. Um, so Jesse went when she was 16. She, um, but I went with her, but I ended up going to hospital. And her first foot in Thailand was uh, in front of 10,000 people in a park. Wow. And then I was in hospital and I was so scared. Uh, I got cellulitis in my leg. I couldn't do anything. And then I'm thinking, oh no, dad's not there. Poor Jazzy, 10,000 people live on Thai TV. She's gonna shit herself. And then she ended up having the greatest fight ever. And she won. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then I got sad. Oh no, she doesn't need that anymore. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't need, what's she gonna, this poor thing's gonna be they, they always need their dads, man. We, <laughs> we always need it. I mean, speaking of dads, you've, you've been, from what I can gauge, you've been pretty like you've had some really great father figures in your life. You had um, like your adoptive parents over in Thailand. You had Richard over yes. here as well. Yes. Um, I've met man Boon Chu Thai. How good yeah. was that? I remember when I lived at Broadbeach because I lived at Broadbeach for I think I moved up to the Gold Coast from Sydney in about '93, and I lived in Broadbeach. I bought a house and I lived in Bro in that same house for 18 years, Whoa. right? And Boon Shu Thai, man, that was my go-to meal. I reckon I had that three times a week. Oh, the chicken pad si yu, ah. just the best. And what was his, uh, he had a couple of boys. Oh, uh, James and Louis. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were top blokes too, man. And um, they used to always work behind there and I used to always come in there before I go off and, and do a fight and drive up to Brizzy to the Evolution shows ah. and, 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 and get a quick tie before I used to go to work. But um, Richard, you know, and I only knew Richard through that and I knew him through, um, you know, I, you know, through through the fighting, and, and I'd see him, but he's just such a nice bloke. You yes. know what I mean? And I can see why you gravitated towards him like a father figure, because he was just yeah. sensational. So, so how how it all happened was uh, I was training with a guy called Blair, who was a promoter at the time, Blair Moore. Yeah. And then Blair was doing a, uh, I just beat Mark Pease for the Australian title, and then he goes, oh, it's only like my fifth or sixth fight, and then all right, you beat Mark Pease, you got the Australian title now. Um, next fight's in two months and we're fighting a tie. Um, the Thais only had 10 fights. 
um, which I found out later he had over a hundred. <laughs> so, so, uh, and I was on, I was still seventeen. And then a friend, of, a friend of a friend of Paul Bridges found out I was going to fight a tie, and he goes, "Oh, look, if you're going to fight a tie, you need to be trained by a tie." Um, I, I went in and used to, to one of my friends. Um, his name was Saki, so we started training with Saki a couple of times a week. And then Saki's going, "Hey, I've got another friend that owns a restaurant. I'll tell you what I do. Um, he's happy to give you a, a, your first sponsorship. Um, you can go down to his shop once a week to grab something to, to eat from his shop." Oh, amazing! That sounds cool. So I go down, meet Richard, and Richard's this over the top. Casimero, so charismatic, yeah. Thai, awesome, and then um, uh, I only lived walking distance. I could, I was five minute walk from 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 his shop. So uh, once a week, started turning twice a week, three times a week, and then every day just go down. And then it wasn't even about uh, going and having something to eat anymore. I just sit in the kitchen and I just listen to Richard tell stories about this mystical place called Thailand and the national sports Thai boxing and. Um, he they, had all the they, pictures up on his. They, they, they sleep on yeah. the floor and they, everyone's lived. Yeah, yeah, that's hard, but yes, at the same time, you, if you can survive the, the hardness, you become a star. And, um, and he was right. Yeah. So, so I had three or four more fights, and Richard was a big supporter and he's helped me everywhere he can. And then I fought a gentleman called Scotty Lovelock when I was 19 for the South Pacific title. Uh, so, Richard came to Noosa with us to support me. Uh, round two. I get dropped with a leg kick. Uh, I, I beat the count, and then uh, the next, I'm I'm, uh, I'm 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 clinching him to stay out of the range for him to kick my leg. So end of the fourth round, I sit down. Richie comes into the corner and grabs him by the hair and shakes my head. What are you doing? I need you to win. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, it was a thousand dollars for the winner and seven fifty for the loser. You get me that thousand dollars. I want you to win that thousand dollars. And I was so I was so angry with myself that I was losing and I was disappointing Richard that looked after me so much that um, I, I, I was internally crying that I was um, disappointing me uh, and I was so mad at the start of the fifth I, I went out there and um, just didn't stop didn't stop didn't stop ended up uh, knocking him out with like 20 seconds ago on the clock picked up the South Pacific title made Richard the the proudest um, Thai guy in, in the in the venue and then the next day I went down to the restaurant with my new belt to celebrate and then uh, Richard was so happy, and then he goes, I've got something very important I want to ask you. Uh, how would you like to go to Thailand and learn how to, to, to be the best from, um, from proper champions? That would be amazing. All right, this is the condition. He said, if you can organize your passport, I'll do the rest. I'll get you a camp, I'll pay for your plane ticket, I'll find you somewhere to live, um, but just got to do your passport. So went to the post office, did the passport. A week later, the passport arrived, went in the shop. Hey, Richard, the passport's arrived. And he stormed the cross, grabbed me by the wrist, and we've walked down the street, and we've gone straight to the travel agent. And he goes, um, "All right, I want a, a six-month open ticket." And then he turned to me, saying, "This is six months." He said, "If you come back before six months, me and you are done. Don't come and see me. We're over. But if you can last six months, uh, you make me the, the the proudest Thai father-in-law that you could possibly." It's like, "Yeah, I can, I, I'll, I'll do my best. I promise. I'll try and." He said, um, I'm warning you, the conditions are going to be rough. You'll be sleeping like a dog and you'll be living like a dog. But if you can do it, you imagine your future. So, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then, sure enough, I get to the camp and they said, here's your, here's your bed on the floor. Here's your toilet. You've got to wipe it with your bum with the water. I said, oh, no, I can do this. I can do this. And I ended up having uh, five fights, five wins, three knockouts. Come back to Australia again. And I was, I was working in the shop picking up plates and just helping Richard out. And there was no, there was no plan B at that stage. Uh, and then the, uh, about a month or so after I got back, the, the Thai camp ran Richard saying, hey, look, we think that kid's got a big future. 
Uh, any chance you could send him back again, we'd love to have him as part of our uh, team. My Richard sat me down again. Hey, look, you want to go back to Thailand? Yes. And he said, and then he's like, all right, there's a new, new rule. Uh, the first one was six months. Now, no more playing. I want you to go one year. Wow. You have to promise me one year. Wow. So, but if you come back before one year, me and we're yeah, done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the, I know the rules. I know the rules. So, uh, so yeah, I jumped on the plane, and then '97 was uh, my best year ever. Uh, I won my next four fights straight. So now I've won my first nine fights in Thailand straight. Um, I'm fighting at Lumpini now. I'm I'm, I'm ranked fourth uh, at 147 pounds in Lumpini Stadium. Um, so I'm like one fight away from a Lumpini title, uh, and then we meet uh, the promoter Song Choi, the number one promoter in Thailand. All right, now you've had all these wins, so your next fight's going to be against the A class called Orono. Uh, and he, oh, no, actually, we're watching TV on a Sunday. So I won my my, my ninth fight uh, to celebrate my my ninth win in a row. The magazine said, "Oh, can we come and do a, an interview on you? We would love to to get your story out there for the Thai people." So the, the, they send a photographer to get some snaps. So we go down to the park and we've got like the water and the palm trees, nothing behind us. And then the photographer is saying, all right, we need you to look really, really strong because this is for the front cover. So looking around going, what? He goes, oh, didn't we tell you? Yeah, this is for the front cover. Uh, you'll be the first Westerner ever on the front wow. cover of a magazine. It's like, holy shit. So yeah, we do this cover. And then um, a couple of days later, because uh, in, in Thailand, a lot of the news agents are outside. So if you catch a bus, um, you're going down the road, next minute you see all these uh, magazines hanging up everywhere, everywhere we go. Uh, it was just like, this is, uh, this is too crazy, this is amazing. So uh, one Sunday we're watching the TV uh, and then they, they had some commercials come up and the MCs are talking saying, oh, we've got a massive show in four weeks time. Uh, Sanctanoi is going to be fighting gang for the title and we've got this guy fighting this guy. Uh, John Wayne will be making his uh, debut at this stadium against the Orono and all the ties stopped and everyone turned at me at once. And I'm going, oh, what? They're going, you're fighting Orono. And at that stage, I've already beaten nine ties. I'm like, oh yeah, it's all right. And no, no, <laughs> you don't understand. You don't, you're, you're fighting Orono. And then uh, I, and now that I know who he is, it's like a big deal. But back then I was a bit blase. And uh, yeah, so sure enough, the fight comes around and then the first round's going really, really well. And then halfway through the second, he, he cuts me with an elbow, cuts me um, through my eyebrow. And then a couple of seconds later, he cuts me again under the eye, and then the fights end up stopped in the round, uh, halfway through round three because of too much blood and everything else. Um, so that was my first reality check, because this is, this is the big leagues, this is like proper. Um, and then, yeah, uh, fast forward uh, three years, the, we're at the King's birthday. I was supposed to fight another tie, and then uh, I've weighed in, and Song Chai's going, oh, look, you're, you're a little bit, uh, you're on weight, but the tie you're fighting, he's a little bit underweight. I don't think it's a good match. Um, I'll tell you what I do. Instead of you fighting that guy tomorrow, how about tomorrow you fight rematch Orono? Um, and it was, it was for a title too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Orono was the world champion. He was supposed to fight Masato, but Masato didn't want to fight Orono because he was scared that Orono had hepatitis. Um, so Orono's <laughs> left with no opponent. Um, you're a bit bigger than this guy, so tomorrow you're going to fight Orono instead. And then I was fighting a right Did you ask guy. the question, does he have hepatitis? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't care, because it was for the world title too. It's like, I'm willing to get hepatitis for the world title. <laughs> um, but then I was training for a right-hander, and then Orono's a southpaw. Yeah, he's southpaw. And then I was like, oh my God, shit, I don't know what to do. I'm so scared, because uh, at that stage, Orono was the most painful fight I've ever had. It was like a nightmare. It was like the stuff of nightmares. 
And then when you get told on 24 hours notice that you're gonna fight him again, it's like, I need more mental time to prepare for this because I'm not quite oh, mentally man. prepared, I'm so scared. So I rang Saint in, uh, he wasn't at the weigh-in. I said, oh no, uh, they're throwing a curveball at me. They want me to fight Orono tomorrow, what, what should we do? And then uh, Saint in my trainer at the time, he's like, take it, take it, let's do it. Um, I'm quite confident that we've got this. In fact, I've got a game plan, but uh, I don't, I don't want to tell you now, I'll tell you the game plan tomorrow. I said, oh, that's not good. <laughs> as, in, as in on the day of the fight? Yeah, yeah. Uh. I've got the game plan, but I don't, I don't want you to overthink it right now, so I'll tell you in the morning. So, yeah, so trying to sleep, tossing and turning. Oh, no, I'm going to die. Tomorrow I'm going to die for sure. So I wake up in the morning and sing then. All right, I'm, I couldn't sleep. What's this game plan? What's, he goes, all right, so, so you're orthodox. He's southpaw. Um, you got cut. So I think the best way to fight him is tomorrow. I want you to, uh, tonight, I want you to go southpaw. So southpaw versus southpaw. I was like, that's not a good idea. That's Had a you fought Southpaw before? No, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. That's the worst idea ever. And then, then he explained it to me saying, um, if you stand Southpaw, your lead hand will be, your right hand will be now be your lead hand, which is going to block his um, left elbows, which, which when he did the demonstration, it made a lot of sense. And then from that moment forward, I'm shitting myself every single second going, I can't go Southpaw. I can't go Southpaw. Oh, I'll try Southpaw. I can't go Southpaw. So I had this little war going oh, on. Man. And then um, I'm, the fight before uh, the King's birthday, they, they get you to prepare. So you got your robe, got your shorts on, you've warmed up, you're shadowed. And they get you to sit on the stage. While, and as soon as Orono's fight's done, he's off, the next person's on. And I'm, the, I'm still shooting myself. I can't go southpaw. I still, I'm, this is like three minutes before I'm walking down this runway towards the ring. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, I got to do it. Uh, what about I just do it and if I start losing I'll go back to self I'll go back to orthodox again so anyway got on the ring did the ramoys the bell started for the first I stood southpaw and I, I've thrown a, a one two leg kick and it's landed oh, okay and he's throwing a kick and I, I blocked it off my right leg now and I come back and I counted that landed too and then it just seemed everything I threw was working and then oh fuck it if it's gonna work I'll just stay and I ended up staying southpaw for the five rounds and ended up beating him every single round over the five rounds. Um, and you can imagine this is in front of 100,000 people on the King's birthday, live on Thai TV. And then uh, Orono's that guy that, um, uh, they call him the three O's, Orono. So everyone's, um, when he fights, everyone's like, Orono, Orono. But then when we fought on the King's birthday, it was complete silence because I was smashing him. And then uh, the silence was a, a reassurance that I was winning. Yeah. And then every time he sort of had a little bit, oh, 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 and yeah. then I start winning again, and then it goes silence again. <laughs> so yeah, it was such a such a. Was that the fight that brown. really set you apart from everyone else in Thailand? Was that the one that really sort of made your mark, or? Well, it's sort of hard. There's so many. Every single. There's fight a lot of defining important. moments you had yeah. in Thailand, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, that was definitely one of the the bigger ones, and then 2004. So that was 2000 to be honest. Then 2004. Um, this stage I was back in Australia, I'd met Angie, got married, had Jazzy, and um, she was one at this stage. And um, I got a promoter, uh, an email from the promoter Songchai saying, hey, we have this massive um, eight-man tournament coming up. It's the first, time of it, first of its kind at uh, Rajanam Dern Stadium. Uh, the winner will receive a world title, one million baht, and a trophy from the Prime Minister of Thailand. And we've got this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, who are all killers as well. So, ah, yep, yep, done. So jump on the, jump on the plane, uh, train for four weeks with Sangten, and now Sangten is shooting a movie with um, uh, 
the uh, Diafat from France. So he's only watched me train three times in the four weeks that I'm there because he's shooting the move every day. Uh, I feel good, I'm training hard, I, I'm pushing myself. Uh, so my first fight I fought a Russian. Um, you remember, um, his name was Mohammed, uh, you remember Ramazan? So it was Ramaz you remember Ramazan, Ramazan fought Corbett back at the yes, old yes, days. Yes, yes, yes. So Ramazan fought Corbett. So, so I, I believe Ramazan and Muhammad are cousins or okay, brothers. Yep. So and he was massive. So I beat him on points. And then my next fight, I fought a guy from France called um, John Charles Skabowski. Yes. That, who was uh, George St. Pierre's trainer okay, on, the, yep. on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so he was the man. Uh, after I'd come back to Australia again, um, Skabowski went to Thailand. Now he was the new flung after I'd come home. So I was like, oh, he's taking my spot. <laughs> so I knew I would, if I beat him, that'll, give him, that'll claim my old spot back. So I fought him, ended up stopping him in the start of the third. And then in the final, I was fighting a, a tie that had previously beat me three times in a row. It was 3-0. What was his and, name? Uh, Nintagan. Yeah. Nintagan. And so the first, the first two fights were three rounds, three rounds with no elbows. And then the final was five rounds with elbows. Uh, so I was like, oh no. So I got a proper Muay Thai fighter after having already two more, two more, two Muay Thai fights already. And then, uh, but then the, the good news was I fought Forrest against Skabowski, beat him. And then he fought uh, somebody. And then he had a tough three rounds. And he's going to get out of the ring and they've gone, no, stop, stay in the ring. Um, we're running out of TV time, so you are fighting the final straight away. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so pretty much the, his opponent's left. I've come into the ring. He hasn't left yet. Um, he's had a couple of little drinks and got his breath back, but at the same time, he's pretty oh. knackered. Yeah. That's so tough. it had to be the other way around. I definitely would have not done as well for sure. Um, but yeah, so three rounds. I knew he was tired, so I picked up the gat um, straight away. Uh, high work rate to try and make him exhausted as possible. And in the clinch, even the tie was saying in Thai in my ear, goes, what are you doing? Slow down. So we've got five rounds. I'm like, ah. <laughs> and then uh, sure enough, yeah, I got the one, one on points at Rajananan Stadium for the world title. Uh, million baht, uh, trophy from the Prime Minister. And at the stage, it was the biggest prize money ever given in Thailand. So uh, the next, next day, every single newspaper had articles and pay back pages ah. and, and then uh, pull outs and the magazines. The had, king of the world. Yes. And then tuk-tuk drivers are pulling up when they see me walk the streets, ask for photos and taxi drivers. And Man, no wonder you're yeah. finding it hard to retire. Yeah, it was such a buzz. It was so cool. It was just, especially when you're in another country where Thai people are asking you for a picture because yeah. you've done well in, in their sport. Mm. It was such a such a. And we have to work out where you can go after this next lot of fighting goes. What if we did a documentary based around you right now heading into one championship? Mm. I reckon that'd be good. Because yes. when was that last doco done? That was, what, five oh, years 2010? ago? 2010? 2010, was it? Yeah. That yeah. long ago? That long ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so much water under the bridge since then. Yeah, 10 years. And you've, and you've done a shitload since 2010. Yes, and with the Contender Series as well. That's right. John so, Sanclair in, in the final. So, yeah, Singapore was fun. So, uh, we lived in Singapore for 10 weeks. Um, we shot uh, 14 episodes in, in, in eight weeks. And then there was a six-month gap between the semi-final and the final. And that way they could edit and then air the 14 episodes and then have a live final at the end. So, mm. But everyone that watch, was watching the series uh, knew everyone's storyline by that stage and they, they could... Um, they were invested in, in each of the different fighters of how they grew up and where they grew up and their upbringing, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, so we had, uh, for the final, we had 10,000 people uh, in Singapore for the, for the grand finale. And then when we arrived, after a six-month break, when we come back again, 
um, the whole street with every single telegraph pole had a uh, banner of me and um, Yosin yeah. Gwaii all, uh, all in the main street. It was like, this is too crazy. This is amazing. Um, yeah, it was just... Uh, and then Singapore wasn't known for martial arts back then either. And then after the show, Ed, because it was the first real reality TV show that had been shot in Singapore, um, martial arts just exploded. Even, even now when you go back to Singapore, martial arts is like one of their number one things. Did you do. like Singapore? Yeah, Singapore's cool. Very, be very be clean, very clean, small. isn't it? Um, Beautiful country. Yeah, and everyone spoke Singlish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's no uh, no hard feelings. But there's full on laws over there, isn't there? For I mean, A, for, for drugs. Yes. But isn't it like chewing gum? You can't even yeah, chew no, chewing gum. gum in public. Yeah, and then um, it was still a little bit crazy with the virus when I took Lockie there in February. Uh, it hadn't really kicked off yet. It was on its way. So every time I we went to the hotel, they'd, they'd do a quick thermometer check of our, uh. our forehead with the, um, the laser. Uh, and then it was a closed stadium. Uh, they hired a 10,000 seat stadium and then they, they closed it to the public for everyone's safety, um, which was mind blowing. So we did rehearsals the day before. Here's the, here's the stage, here's where everyone's gonna stand. Um, all right, done. The next day we went to the, back to the stadium and it was exactly the same. The rehearsal was exactly the same as the real thing because no one was there still. Uh, and then they, they, the, the MC called out the fighters, all right, and the blue corner, we've got Rocky Ogden. And I was like, <laughs> just it was me and three other people clapping it was like there's so so sad and then poor rocky's jumping up and down waiting for the applause and there's no one there it's like oh no and then he's and then fighting a killer too with against Samsame, and every single kick and every single footstep and every single breath you could hear it was just bizarre but at the same time yeah at least at least they got a fight though so unlike now when everything's sort of hand-breaked and what, what are you doing to um get yourself through this crazy time uh, are you uh, just, just just trying to stay sane uh i'm very lucky we're in the gym so yeah. if i come down i got a stinky session this morning before you came down yeah. um and bring the kids down get them out of the house get the try and beat the some people must be going nuts yeah i'm very fortunate where we're, we're very active and um well I've, it, I've got a dojo set up in my home oh, okay yep. yeah so i've i've transformed my garage i've got like a big garage it's probably a 42 square meter space so it's quite big yep and um, cleaned it all out, put walls up, you know, did the whole box and dice, painted it, put all the mats down, got the bag up. Um, I live with another black belt, which is oh, really cool. Perfect. Yeah, was and that? then his girlfriend is training jujitsu, and then my little boy's been training for the last five years. So we have our little, you know, quarantine. We ah. call it the quarantine. Yeah. So it's just just us getting together, doing little jujitsu sessions. It's awesome. it's unreal, and that's keeping us that's keeping us sane. But there must be a lot of people going oh, a little yeah. bit stir crazy. Yeah. You know, I um. A mate of mine works in pubs and clubs, and, and obviously pubs and clubs are closed, but they have bottle shops, so he's gone to sort of running the bottle shop. And he was telling me that alcohol sales in Australia have gone up 80, 85%. Whoa, damn. Since this whole coronavirus thing's happened, damn. 85%. And domestic violence has gone oh, through the roof I as well. that as well. Yeah, so it's, um, it's crazy times, you know? So I think, we're, I think everyone needs that outlet, you know? Yeah. This is why I think martial arts helps everyone. No matter who you are, I think you should all have a punching bag at home. Yeah, I, I, I notice I'm more polite to my wife now, just in case I make her angry. <laughs> I don't want to be a <laughs> victim. I don't want to be a victim. Now that she's doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, she's going to do some I'm sort of crazy flying arm bar on you. <laughs> I'm screwed. And then I can't even get yelled at the kids now because they'll arm bar me as well. That's so good. <laughs> hey, man, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. Hey, this is um, awesome. Thank you for the opportunity John, to have a chat. John Wayne Parr, I'm really looking forward
looking forward to um, once we get through this crazy time to see what happens over there uh, with the one championship. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, to I, I believe uh, one FC well one championship is the uh, possibly the the greatest Muay Thai promotion. I, I know they started MMA, but for what they're doing for Muay Thai fighters and yeah. K1 guys and just giving the opportunity to shine where MMA has been so prominent. It's where, been very dominant, hasn't but, it? But yeah. now, but now Muay Thai is given a chance and cage Muay Thai too. So they, they took my idea. Oh, and is it going to be in the cage? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Oh, yeah. They've been doing CMT for a while now. Nice, so yeah. I personally think it would have been rude if they didn't invite me, considering it was my considering idea. Considering you started, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's going to be rude if you don't win. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely going to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, quite, I'm, so, I'm so pumped. I'm really, really excited for the future. And well, once it's crazy, once this frigging forest disappears, but um, just the fact that me, Lockie, and hopefully Jazzy and... Just, just the the opportunity to, to represent Australia on the, on the big stage again, and um, just still be active and still just keep having fun and just high fiving my friends. <laughs>